the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Before I say anything, I just want to say thank you for your generosity yesterday. At the uh, Union Gospel Mission Radiothon, we were so blessed by your generosity, and I know there are neighbors who are going to be blessed uh, because of that as well. So I just wanted to say that up front. KPDQ listeners, there's nobody like them, and I uh, love and appreciate you all. Well, today on the program, we're going to talk with Jonathan Dodson. He's the author of Our Good Crisis, Overcoming Moral Chaos with the Beatitudes. The book is published by InterVarsity Press, and if you're looking for a good read during this um, crisis season... Uh, This is a great book to consider. We're also going to talk with the founding editor and publisher of Christian News Northwest, John Fortmeyer. Now, some of you probably received an email from John informing you that this month, the first time in the paper's history, it was not going to uh, print the newspaper. Now, you can access it online, but we're going to talk with him about how this new normal is impacting his work as the um, publisher of Christian News Northwest and what that might mean moving forward for this resource that many of us rely upon for news and information in the Christian community. Well, taking a look at some of the day's headlines, the United States hit a grim milestone on Monday after health officials announced the 3,000th coronavirus-related death in the country, with about 900 from New York City alone. That's according to data from Johns Hopkins University. The U.S. is set to surpass China's toll of 3,300 deaths. New York is currently the U.S. epicenter of the virus and has over 67,000 cases. Over a third of all the deaths in the country have occurred in that state. Well, the USNS Comfort, the Navy hospital ship with a thousand beds and 12 operating rooms arrived in New York Harbor earlier in the day. That's on Monday. The floating hospital could uh, be ready to take on patients as soon as today or tomorrow with a growing uh, strain on healthcare workers in the city. Now, these are not just coronavirus patients. These are patients who come for all kinds of issues that they would come to a hospital in the normal course uh, in uh, a more normal Arena. So this is going to relieve hospital workers uh, pretty dramatically. New York's Empire State Building is uh, was lit up on Monday night and will stay up throughout the COVID-19 pandemic to honor medical workers and first responders. We'll never stop shining for you, it said. In other news, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, in an interview on Hannity on Monday, urged every country to be transparent and provide accurate information about coronavirus because lives are still at stake. Uh, President Trump and I, he went on to say, have been committed to making sure that we have the best data available. When you hear doctors Anthony Fauci and Deborah Burks uh, talk about the risk, talk about fatalities, talking uh, rather trying to think about how to model what they uh, need is data, Pompeo said. They need data from Italy. They need data from China. They need data from Iran. We need every country to step up and provide accurate, transparent information. And if we can't have that, have that. If we have disinformation instead, there are more lives that will be at risk, not only today, but in the weeks ahead. We've asked every country to step up and tell us what they know 
so that the uh, the world can learn, Pompeo said, adding, America will then turn around. We will share that information. Uh, all the information we get will keep people safe, not only here in the United States, but across the world. Also in news yesterday, it may be possible for the novel coronavirus to transmit through the air. There's a new study released over the weekend that makes that suggestion. In a joint study by the University of Nebraska Medical Center, the National Strategic Research Institute at University of Nebraska and other researchers, they found genetic material from the virus that causes COVID-19 in air samples from both in and outside of confirmed coronavirus patients' rooms. The findings offer limited evidence that some potential For airborne transmission exists, according to researchers, though they warn that the findings do not confirm airborne spread. But it certainly is uh, rather sobering to consider that possibility. Well, you may have noted that uh, some on the left have imploded uh, following uh, Mike Lindell uh, speaking at the White House. He's the MyPillow guy. Well, Trump invited him and leaders of other companies to speak, and Lindell was the first. He included a call to get back to reading the Bible, and of course that sent some into an apoplectic fit in the mainstream media. Sarah Reese Jones uh, says this, My Pillow CEO Mike Lindell says God put Trump in the White House and tells people to read the Bible while standing behind a presidential seal on government property and a clear violation of the separation of church and state. I understand she's since been hospitalized. John Gabriel says this, Every blue check anti-MyPillow tweet creates 10 more Trump voters. So be careful what you're saying. Seth Mandel says people are... Uh, overthinking the Lindell thing, viewing it through the lens of the culture war. Very clear. You don't know uh, no people who have beaten addiction through finding faith and the way they repeat the uh, mantras of their own recovery to power them day by day. That's uh, That one's uh, not about you. Well, interestingly, um, that outrage continues. Well, the Washington Post ABC News poll set shows that um, Mr. Biden and Mr. Trump are neck and neck among registered voters. Not that many people are thinking about the election these days, but who actually votes from the story among registered voters who support Trump? 55 percent say they are very enthusiastic about backing him, while 32 percent say that they're somewhat enthusiastic among Biden supporters. Um, a far smaller 28 percent that they say that they are enthusiastic, while 46 percent say somewhat enthusiastic. But again, we're in the middle of a pandemic, things might change in the fall. That was always the risk with Biden, says Ed Morrissey, who generates a lot more nostalgia than enthusiasm. Biden didn't win the nomination so much as having it handed to him by an intervention, assuming he wins it at all. He's not leading some national political movement like Bernie Sanders is with progressive cum socialists. Democrats are settling for Biden as the most electable against Trump and the least dangerous to their down ballot prospects. So, again, that election is still looming. And while our attention is focused elsewhere for the moment, that will shift in the not too distant future. Well, an Amazon worker has been fired for organizing a protest there. The guy who organized that uh, stand uh, stand down against his employer is shocked that his employer no longer wants his services. And the media has jumped on Kavanaugh's accusations. They've ignored Biden's accusations. I'm not going to go into the details because I think most of us are a little tired of the salacious nature of them. But there have been accusations that very few people seem to be interested in these days. With the number of coronavirus-related deaths in the U.S. surging past 4,000 on Tuesday night, Russia purportedly has sent a plane filled with medical equipment to the United States to help fight the deadly virus. The reported shipment comes following a phone conversation between Presidents uh, Trump and President Vladimir Putin on Monday. 
Well, U.S. equity markets tumbled at the opening bell on Wednesday following the White House's grim forecast of between 100 and 240,000 deaths in the United States from the virus. Prominent Democrats ranging from senior members of Congress to the party's likely presidential nominee, Joe Biden, suggest that coronavirus social distancing restrictions may lead to the cancellation of the Democratic National Convention in July. Meanwhile, federal authorities are warning that scammers are texting about offers of goodies from Costco, saying it's part of a coronavirus stimulus package for the store's loyal customers. This, authorities say, is only part of a growing number of coronavirus-related ploys that have emerged in recent weeks. And Wimbledon became the latest sporting event to be canceled amid the coronavirus epidemic. Senator Rick Scott, a Republican from Florida, wants Congress to investigate allegations that the World Health Organization helped China cover up the severity of its coronavirus outbreak and failed to hold the Chinese government accountable. And then there are several other developments. Emergency room doctors and nurses who are putting their personal health at risk to treat coronavirus patients are now seeing their pay, their compensation and their benefits being cut as the economic impact from the pandemic spreads through the medical industry. Couldn't be worse timing. And Robert Levinson, retired FBI agent, is now presumed dead in Iranian custody over a decade after his disappearance. Uh, He was retired, as I mentioned, from the FBI, a private investigator who disappeared from an Iranian island back in 2007, is now believed to have died in Iranian custody. His family revealed in a statement uh, last week. The statement said U.S. officials agreed with the family's conclusion, adding we don't know when or how he died, only that it was prior to the COVID-19 pandemic and might have been fairly recent. Rick Perry, or Senator Rick Perry, warns the U.S. energy sector is on the verge of massive collapse due to the coronavirus pandemic. We'll tell you more about that and other headline news when we return from our break in just a few moments. Also coming up later this hour, we'll talk with Jonathan Dodson, Our Good Crisis, Overcoming Moral Chaos with the Beatitudes, the book once again published by InterVarsity Press. James Blind is producing today's program, Clark Hilton Engineering. Kind of miss their faces, but I appreciate their efforts. Uh, in uh, making this program possible today. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show as we are um, sheltering in place. I'm here at my home, James at his, Clark Hilton at his home, but we're all dutifully doing our job to try to bring you uh the best programming that we can. Later this hour, we're going to talk with Jonathan Dotson. He's the author of Our Good Crisis, Overcoming Moral Chaos with the Beatitudes. He'll be my guest in our next two segments. His book is published by InterVarsity Press. It might be a great read during this time we were all, well, sheltering in place. Returning to some of the day's headlines, the number of coronavirus-related deaths topped 4,000 in the United States Tuesday night, just one day after reaching the 3,000 mark. The U.S. has now surpassed China by more than 700 COVID-19 fatalities, as the White House Coronavirus Task Force said it projects 100 to 240,000 Americans will ultimately die from the virus, with millions more infected. Without any measures in place to mitigate the contagion spread, those projections jumped to between 1.5 million to 2.2 million deaths from COVID-19, officials said. On Tuesday, this is going to be a rough two week period, the president said Tuesday at a White House news uh, briefing as the nation. We're going to have to really rough, uh, rough it out for two weeks. Our strength will be tested and our endurance will be tried. 
China, where the outbreak started, has reported 3,310 virus-related deaths, while more than 4,070 have died in the U.S. The coronavirus pandemic has brought the once thriving U.S. oil and energy sector on the verge of massive collapse. Former Energy Secretary Rick Perry warned on Tuesday on Tucker Carlson tonight. Sweeping restrictions on work and travel have brought industrial activity to a near standstill, he says, meaning fewer cars on the road and fewer flights in the air, translating to a major decrease in demand for oil which is bad news for America's energy producers. Our capacity is full and the Saudis are flooding this market with cheap oil, he says. I'm telling you, we are on the verge of a massive collapse of an industry that we worked awfully hard over the course of the last three to four years to build up to the number one oil and gas producing country in the world, giving Americans some affordable energy resources. Something else to uh, remember in our prayers. Beijing says it's slowly beginning to emerge from the coronavirus crisis that originated on its soil while putting its propaganda machine to work to craft a favorable narrative. Weeks after announcing the outbreak, some critics, particularly here in the U.S., are accusing China of purposely failing to inform the public, thereby exacerbating the crisis. A Chinese doctor who has since died of the virus tried sounding the alarm during its early stages, Li Wenliang, who worked in a Wuhan hospital and has since been hailed as a hero, was detained with eight other doctors for posting information about patients with respiratory problems on um, WeChat, a Chinese messaging platform. Accusations of covering up unfavorable news to protect its image are nothing new to the Chinese Communist Party, which has a penchant for secrecy that's hampered containment efforts in the past. When the severe acute respiratory syndrome, or SARS epidemic, which is another coronavirus, Uh, broke out there in the the late uh, 2002. The Chinese government was accused of failing to take action for several months. Well, on this day in history, 1789, the U.S. House of Representatives holds its first full meeting in New York. Frederick Muhlenberg of Pennsylvania is elected the first House Speaker. 1933, Nazi Germany stages a day-long national boycott of Jewish-owned businesses. 1945, on this day in history, American forces launched the amphibious invasion of Okinawa during World War II. U.S. forces would succeed in capturing the island on the 22nd of June. 1954, the United States Air Force Academy is established by President Dwight D. Eisenhower. And in 1970, President Richard M. Nixon signs a measure banning cigarette advertising on radio and television. 1976, Apple Computer is founded by Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak, and Ronald Uh, Wayne. 1987, in his first speech on the AIDS epidemic, then-President Ronald Reagan tells doctors in Philadelphia, we've declared AIDS public health enemy number one. On this day in history in 1988, the scientific bestseller, A Brief History of Time, From the Big Bang to Black Holes, by British physicist Stephen Hawkins, Hawking rather, is first published in the United Kingdom and the United States by Bantam Books. 2003, American troops enter a hospital in Iraq and rescue Army uh, PFC uh, Jessica Lynch, who had been held prisoner since her unit was ambushed on March the 23rd. And in 2014, mocking his critics, President Barack Obama boasts that 7.1 million people signed up for his health care law and says the debate over repealing the law is over. Well, maybe not so much. And finally, also in 2014, on this very day, Congress demands answers from General Motors' new CEO, Mary Barra, on why the automaker has taken 10 years to recall cars with a faulty ignition switch linked at that time to 13 traffic deaths. Barra acknowledges that the company took too long to act. And a uh, clear statement of the obvious.
Early notice of the coronavirus occurred during the impeachment, we're being reminded, and Senator, uh, Senator Mitch McConnell believes the trial diverted government attention at the cr- at critical time. Rich Lowry says the president uh, closed off travel from China while the, the uh, trial was still ongoing. The day after, senators asked their final questions on the impeachment managers and the White House defense team. Only two and a half weeks after the trial, the White House requested $1.25 billion in emergency coronavirus funding from Congress. Meanwhile, New York hospitals are warning doctors and nurses to not speak to the media. And Hugh Hewitt looks forward to baseball's opening day when the virus is under control and America can breathe again. When that will be? Well, we don't really know. Well, Nikki Haley, uh, the former UN ambassador, is among those questioning China's um, veracity, if you will. Uh, From Nikki Haley on Twitter, what a difference it would make if China would just tell us the truth. Axios isn't buying China's V-shaped recovery. And one story claims, based on calculations made by its own residents, the real death toll is somewhere around 47,000. The Washington Post seems to be buying whatever China wants to sell them, especially if it sheds a unfavorable light on the president. Ari Fleischer uh, makes a suggestion. Whenever the media posts a statistic from China about coronavirus, it should be accompanied by a giant asterisk. That's what we do in sports. That's how we should look at China data reporting. And from Jim Garrity, he says, when you see headlines along the lines of the United States isn't handling the coronavirus any better than China, keep in mind that the Chinese government embraced brutal totalitarian measures that the American people would never accept. Chinese authorities welded doors shut to keep the infected from leaving their homes. I wonder what they'd say if President Trump suggested that here. Well, if uh, Asian countries are cracking down on violators of social distancing, a few examples from the story in Taiwan, a man who had traveled to Southwest Asia was fined $33,000 for sneaking out to a club when he was uh, supposed to be on lockdown in his home. In Hong Kong, a 13-year-old girl who was spotted out at a restaurant wearing a tracking bracelet to monitor those in quarantine was followed, filmed, and subsequently shamed online. Meanwhile, deaths in the U.K. uh, took a jump. Uh, The World Health Organization, which only is credited among those not paying attention, continues to say masks aren't necessary. Dr. Fauci on Tuesday said the idea of getting a much more broad community-wide use of masks outside the healthcare uh, setting is under very active discussion at the task force. The uh, The CDC group is looking at that very carefully. And consumer confidence, not surprisingly, has fallen less than expected or fell less than expected. But just in case you're tempted to enjoy that news, the story tells us consumer confidence is certain to drop further. And a second Business Insider story looks at the devastation on businesses, particularly in restaurants. And CNN's Chris Cuomo has tested positive. He announced the diagnosis via Twitter. Um, he uh, didn't show his uh, did his show rather from his basement. A look at a cluster of classy conservative reactions on Twitter um, put that in some broad perspective. The rents do. Many Americans can't pay their bills. It's the first of the month. The fact that it's April 1st is, well, of little consequence to us right now. The coronavirus pandemic took um, many jobs. Uh, from many Americans, the decisions that are now being made on which bills to pay will provide a clearer picture of the economic damage done by COVID-19 in a country lacking a universal social safety net and where many workers have little savings to fall back on. We have, for the first time in our marriage, says one, declined to pay our credit card balance, but only paid the minimum and called to ask for interest forgiveness. Uh, Another couple who also applied for deferred and reduced payments for their student loans. According to... um, 
Uh, Amherst, a real estate analytics and investment firm, 26% of U.S. renters could need temporary help to pay their monthly housing bills, which would total about $12 billion per month. We are now in the coronavirus era in earnest. Now, coming up, we're going to talk with Jonathan Dotson, our good crisis, overcoming moral chaos in the uh, with the Beatitudes. He'll join us in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. My next guest makes the point that behind every crisis we read about in the news lurks a moral crisis, a crisis of goodness. To properly address these issues, Pastor Jonathan Dodson thinks we must we must be formed as people of moral goodness. Well, in his wise and practical new book, Our Good Crisis, Mr. Dobson, he uh, takes us back to the Beatitudes, examining each teaching in the context of the new morality in our society today and presenting a compelling portrait of the truly good life. Well, Jonathan Dodson is the founding pastor of City Life Church in Austin, Texas, and founder of Gospel-Centered Discipleship. He's the author of several books, including The Unbelievable Gospel, Raised, and Here in Spirit. Uh, He joins us today to talk about his latest book, our Good Crisis, Overcoming Moral Chaos with the Beatitudes, published by InterVarsity Press. Jonathan Dotson, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Georgine. It just sounds so good when you talk about the book. <laughs> well, you ought to read it. It's really what, very well done. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are currently in a crisis, and I suppose you could argue that we're pretty much in one crisis after another. This one is unique in various ways, uh, but all of us are thinking about the the nature of crisis. Um, talk about what we're currently facing and the, the crisis that you write about, our good crisis, that exposes what we lack when things become very difficult and challenging. Yes, well, <clears throat> it feels as though there's one crisis ever after another these days when you check your news feed or open the newspaper, you know, a sex crisis, sexual crisis, a political crisis, uh, a environmental crisis, and now we have a pandemic crisis on our hands. And uh, what, I, what I argue in the book is that often behind these crises lurks a deeper, more insidious crisis, and that is a crisis of goodness. That the seeds of most crises that exist in the world exist first in us. So, you know, lust drives uh, a sex crisis, power drives a political crisis, uh, things that we all struggle with. The, uh, the pandemic, the COVID-19 crisis, is a little different in that it doesn't have kind of a moral agency. You know, it's, um, it's a natural crisis, but it still is creating an opportunity for goodness, mm-hmm. uh, an, oppor- an opportunity in which we, we, we will kind of see what's in our heart, you know, whether we cower in fear or uh, rise up in blind faith and, you know, kind of naive, naive trump- triumphalism. Uh, so e- even something that doesn't have kind of maybe a moral weight to it it creates uh, the opportunity to see what's in our hearts and to display the, the, the moral vision of Jesus, the, the goodness that he talks about in the Beatitudes. 
You write of the Beatitudes that these are clarifying statements from Jesus, and they possess such moral force that they can flatten us. When absorbed, they produce moral ballast that transforms our character, encourages our communities, renews our churches, and blesses our society. While we are in a cultural crisis, we're also in a moment ripe with tremendous opportunity. We can turn the tide in small and big ways by demonstrating the goodness of Jesus' kingdom. So what you're writing about is the opportunity you described just a moment ago that every crisis presents. It not only exposes the condition of our heart, but it also presents an opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's correct. That's correct. Mm-hmm. And we, we definitely see that in bold relief in our current crisis, uh, pandemic crisis. You know, you you've, uh, kind of have extremes of people res- responding, some in kind of uh, a belligerent fear, you know, uh, hunkering down. Uh, buying more sanitizer than they need, uh, hoarding TP, hoarding groceries, um, <clears throat> lock, kind of locked down in kind of self-preserving uh, individualistic fear. And then uh, you also have an exception to that. You have people that, you know, I saw a video yesterday. of uh, There was a Amazon delivery guy. He walked up to the house, and there was a stash of toilet paper and sanitizer out front. And uh, he w- he was encouraged by the resident to take it with him and he was just kind of you know guffawed at the generosity of that person uh i've I've, uh, seen people kind of here in austin uh do great things the churches are coming together to donate any kind of medical supplies that they have that would be helpful to the medical community here uh there are two doctors in our congregation who didn't have n95 masks and there were people in our church that had them and they gave those masks to them Mm. Um, people are pooling their financial resources to help uh, uh, people in our church that have lost their jobs and are paying their rent. Uh, so there, there is an opportunity to kind of hunker down and look out for number one, but there's also a tremendous opportunity to be what Jesus describes as poor in spirit, uh, to, to recognize the need of the economically poor from a place of profound humility before God and to be generous with others. Now, you draw your reader's attention to the Beatitudes, and we may not just naturally make that connection that when we're in the face of a crisis, this pandemic, which, as you pointed out, is unique in a number of ways, but the new kinds of crises that we face uh, every day uh, that we find in our news feed, the Me Too movement, the Charleston shooting, California fires, a school shooting, a nuclear threat, all of those, uh, those kinds of things, what drew your attention to the Beatitudes as a way of responding that not only is um, uh, ministers to the soul of the individual who chooses to follow uh, Jesus' wisdom, but also as a, a beacon to the world that desperately needs to see what does goodness actually look like. Well, it's you know it's the preface or the preamble to the greatest moral document in history. So even Richard Dawkins, you know, an atheistic biologist, has said that uh, the Sermon on the Mount was way ahead of its time. And he lauds it for its uh, its moral integrity. Um, so, you know, the Sermon on the Mount is, is the defining vision of goodness that has influenced Western civilization uh, for centuries and, in fact, the world. So I think it's a tremendous place to start. The Beatitudes, of course, are the uh, kind of preamble. And mm-hmm. I, I personally can't, can't get past the first one without being completely flattened. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, you know. Uh, those who, uh, the poor in spirit kind of have a foundational humility. You know, they're people who are meek and they're people who are generous. 
the, the, the Hebrew word behind it means bowed down. So you could be bowed down by circumstances economically. In the Gospel of Luke, it says, blessed are the poor. Uh, but you can also be bowed down uh, attitudinally or spiritually, uh, poor in spirit, uh, the Gospel of Matthew. I think both are in view here, and, and, and the way to achieve this kind of foundational humility is not by just thinking of yourself less or comparing yourself to uh, other people, but it, it is in comparing ourselves to the greatness of God. You know, I, I think of um, every summer I go to Colorado and I spend a few weeks in the Rocky Mountains, and when I walk out the back door of my parents' house and I take in the vista of these 16,000 feet peaks that are snow-capped and just gorgeous and great, I feel so small. Mm-hmm. And yet, I am lifted up. You know, when we find something greater than ourselves, we have the opportunity to discover humility. And we find that in the greatness, the omnipotence, the omniscience, the glory of God something truly greater than ourselves that not only humbles us, but in Christ lifts us up. So that foundational uh, beatitude, I think, is the gateway into the entire Sermon on the Mount. And uh, so that's kind of why I I went there. What you're describing is a countercultural perspective on life in general uh, and on oneself more uh, specifically. Um, And and as you say, this is the sort of the gateway into the other other uh, beatitudes. We tend to overlook them. We don't necessarily understand what um, what Jesus meant by them. Maybe the language uh, doesn't resonate with us in the 21st century. So to go deeper, I think, really um, helps us to to reflect on and understand what it is that Jesus is calling us to and how we can reflect that goodness in an age of crisis. I agree. The other beatitude that you focus on is in the fourth verse. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And perhaps that uh, speaks to the hearts of many of us now who are mourning the new normal, the loss of life, the suffering of our our, uh, neighbors and friends. Talk a bit about mourning in an age of distraction. Yes, it is a very appropriate beatitude for our present moment. Uh, We have, you know, tons of grief in the world right now with 8,000 lives lost in Spain. Um, You know, the headline I saw this week from Italy was, uh, we carry bodies out day and night. Uh, There are places in the world in which grief is so intense right now. In the United States, we haven't had that kind of mortality rate, that kind of uh, brush with, you know, high numbers of, of lost lives, but we are experiencing a kind of grief, um, David Kessler, who wrote the book uh, the five stages of, on the five stages of grief, describes something he calls anticipatory grief. And he suggests that, you know, that gnawing feeling we have at the end of the day uh, as we are shelter in home, as we're in lockdown, that kind of sense of restlessness that we're starting to feel is, in fact, a form of grief. That we are grieving the life we had before the coronavirus that we are grieving uh, the inability to sit down with a friend at a coffee shop and enjoy a good coffee and a conversation face-to-face. You know, we're grieving the, the, uh, the, the great times that we would have at our favorite restaurant, you know, uh, catching up with family and friends. That there, all these new limitations uh, are, in fact, uh, something that, that I think should be grieved, uh, the loss of life as we knew it. 
We don't know how long it will go on, but it is an occasion for grief. And of course, we're all sitting here thinking, when will it stop? Will there be Mm -hmm. a cure? Will there be more? Will we be like China, Italy, Spain? And there, uh, when you let that sink in, that troubles the soul. Uh, That's where that anticipatory grief comes in. So blessed are those who mourn. uh, The word can mean flourish or happy. uh, For they shall be comforted. The question then becomes, how do we find comfort? Um, I noticed that when I responded a few weeks to this, a few weeks ago to this, and we were in lockdown, that I kind of jumped over several stages of grief, and I went straight to acceptance. This is the way things are. I didn't grieve. I didn't get angry. But as I as I kind of got got with the program and we got online with our services, and I you know sent out video devotionals and you know prayed for those that were really struggling, I found myself deeply restless in the evenings, and I had to kind of get alone with the Lord and say, Lord, what is this? And he and, and, and he showed me that it was a grief, a grief of the way things are going, uh, the limitations, not being able to see my friends, not able to worship with my church. And so I was able to kind of hand over those, name them and hand them to the Lord. And as I did, I found uh, comfort, that there is a comforter that's greater than the sufferings. Um, he has his na- a name. His name is the Holy Spirit. And uh, so I found it very helpful to kind of name the griefs hand them over to the Lord and experience his comfort in in the sorrow. And in that sense, we do have a promise of comfort in sorrow. Mm. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment, but I do need to take a quick break. Again, we're talking with Jonathan Dodson, author of Our Good Crisis, Overcoming Moral Chaos with the Beatitudes. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with Jonathan Dodson. He is the author of Our Good Crisis, Overcoming Moral Chaos with the Beatitudes. The book is published by InterVarsity Press, and if you can get your hands on it during this season, I think you will be enriched and blessed and, and find opportunities to be a blessing to others. Now, each of the Beatitudes is preceded by the word blessed, um, are those or are the what does the word blessed mean in this context and can you describe the happiness if that's a, a, an appropriate interpretation that um, these beatitudes are promising uh, yes the the word bless makurios means happy but it is a kind of a deep happiness not mm-hmm. the superficial happiness that we think of today uh, today we think of happiness is contingent upon circumstances you know if I felt like I had a good day I had a happy day you know it's based on, you know, how things went at birth or, you know, how things are with friends. But Jesus offers a vision and a promise of deep abiding happiness, joy. Uh, you could even translate it flourishing that transcends the circumstances, whether they're good or bad. So <clears throat> um, each of these Beatitudes is promising this kind of human contentment and joy and peace if we'll live into these Beatitudes. So um, we talked a little bit about blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, what you have there is you have a requirement for that foundational humility we talked about, um, but it's attached to a heavenly promise, um, uh, the the kingdom of heaven. And in the kingdom of heaven, we have a God that's great. We have a a community uh, that's grounded in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there are profound resources uh, the greatness of God, the grace of God, the people of God, through which we can cultivate this humility 
And if we will, we experience flourishing. You know, proud people, they, they're, they're not happy. Um, they're not uh, content. They're not uh, filled with peace. Humble people are. And, uh, but the humility comes, as we talked about, um, looking at something greater, more gracious than yourself, namely uh, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you, you have in each of these Beatitudes this kind of punchy moral statement attached to a heavenly promise. And it's that heavenly promise that is breaking into this world to, to enable that, uh, that virtue and therefore experience the blessed life. In your fourth chapter, you uh, focus on the uh, beatitude in Matthew 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And that's perhaps one of the, uh, the concepts that we misunderstand most. Your chapter is titled Meekness in an Age of Hubris. Just, just find what meek means, uh, what it looks like, and how we um, inherit the earth if we follow this uh, directive to, to be meek and the promise that we will be happy, content, and fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Well, the word meek is sometimes translated gentle. Um, Jesus embodies this quality perfectly. Um, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And this is the gentle Savior inviting us to find rest in him. Um, meekness is, is a humility. Uh, you might think of it as, uh, as kind of a horizontal humility, whereas the poor in spirit is a vertical Mm-hmm. Humility. That, uh, so it's it's it comes out of our it's expressed in our relationship to other people. So we find ourselves, if we're truly meek, comparing ourselves to others less. Whether we would might perhaps uh, compare ourselves to a coworker and the level of success they've had, we might look down on them if we've achieved more and and, and kind of expect them to applause, or we might look up at someone who's done better than us and say, you know. Oh, I want to. I want their approval, or I want to achieve what they've achieved. But either way, you've got a kind of a strong and, and a weak pride that uh, runs against the grain of this uh, humility, this this relational humility. And um, the meek, uh, if if you're going to inherit the world, what do you have to lose? I mean. You know, if you've got everything, you've got the love of God, the grace of God, the person of God dwelling in you. Um, you've got the forgiveness of God, the justice of God. The mer- I mean, if you've got all of that, I mean, what what, what do we have to lose? Like in serving other people, uh, in um, uh, considering others more important than ourselves, you know? So I think that that otherworldly promise there uh, really frees us up uh, to... to uh, approach others not from a position of pride, but a position of, of humility. And, um, you know, we, we, we all like being around humble people. Humble people ask us more questions than we ask them. You know, they're great conversationalists, or um, it, they show a keen interest in what's going on in your life. Uh, humble people are looking to serve others, you know. Uh, we all like to be served. We all love humility. We we just like to be on the receiving end of humility. Yeah. Um, you know, so, uh, but the kingdom, of course, compels us to be on the giving end uh, of humility. And, um, you know, in the book, I talk a little bit about some of the challenges to that, that, you know, the strong and, and weak pride. There also is a kind of middle pride um, that is popular today. The middle pride is kind of says, um, stand, stand up for yourself. Uh, it's my truth that matters. Um, you do you. 
uh, <clears throat> and it, what it does is it, it kind of finds uh, significance and meaning inside yourself. So it's not a comparison to others. It's just in being true to whatever you're into it for the moment mm-hmm. uh, or for the season of life. And that is a kind of grossly self-absorbed uh, the philosophical term is solipsism. It's, it's this kind of, you know, gross, uh, as one sociologist describes it, transcendental attention to yourself. Um, and uh, when we're like that, it's very hard to tolerate people that are different or that might disagree with our truth. Um, so we kind of co-opt the truth uh, with our own individualized, uh, kind of self-actualized version of the truth. And uh, we're unwilling to consider and entertain uh, anything that opposes it. And that in itself is a form of pride. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think there's a lot of room for, in my life and all, in our, all of our lives for, for this particular beatitude. Yeah, absolutely. Again, we're talking about the book, Our Good Crisis, Overcoming Moral Chaos with the Beatitudes. In each of the chapters that that uh, focuses on one of the Beatitudes, you have a a segment at the end, Overcoming Your Chaos, in which you encourage your readers to go a bit deeper and not to just become well-informed on the subject of the Beatitudes, but to really consider um, how to apply what Jesus is calling us to uh, in these scriptures. Talk a bit about um, how you see that part of the book being used to help us internalize uh, what God is, is calling us to. Yes, it was important to me in writing a book on you know, virtue and goodness in a secular age to uh, have some way of kind of, okay, how do I do this? And so they're, they're less kind of discussion questions for a community, um, although they can be used like that, but they're kind of, there's exercises, there's questions for you to kind of take this beatitude and in the presence of God, try to uh, conquer your own moral chaos and invite the peace of Christ in its place. So, yeah, so, so they're structured in a way to kind of provoke contemplation, mm-hmm. maybe get to the bottom of what might be um, preventing that particular virtue or beatitude in your life, and then um, to, to cultivate it, you know, to be a person of virtue. And this is something you could do in community for sure, uh, or in a small group or something like that. But, but yeah, it was so important to me that, that there would be some kind of practical guide to kind of cultivate uh, this, the character of Christ as we see in the Beatitudes in our lives. You have a a chapter titled Mercy in an Age of Tolerance, Purity in an Age of Self-Expression, and Peacemaking in an Age of Outrage. And I want to park there as our time is almost up. Uh, We do live in an age in which uh, people are outraged by all kinds of things. And in fact, it's uh, it's rather remarkable to consider what people uh, get exercised about. But the Beatitude is, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Can you talk a little bit about that uh, Beatitude found in the ninth uh, verse of chapter 5 in Matthew? Yes, this was, this was one that was particularly um, challenging and apropos. Uh, I've, I've found over the last five years that um, social media, the news, uh, and even Christians, uh, in particular, are drawn into this kind of polarization in mm-hmm. which there's a lot of acrimony, there's a lot of hate, there's a lot of name-calling. And so <clears throat> I wanted to think about this because it was it was close to home. Um, and, you know, what, what does it look like to be a peacemaker in an age of outrage? There's really kind of two extremes as I see it. There's a culture of outrage and a culture of fragility. The culture of fragility um, says whatever uh, I disagree with, 
is potentially harmful. So you, you see this in um, some sociologists, Jonathan Haidt and a psychi- psychologist, uh, Lukianoff, have written a book. And they describe in university campuses across the country that students are um, barring lecturers with whom they disagree from entering the mm-hmm. campus. They are accosting professors with whom they disagree. And, and what's happening is their world is becoming so fragile that they have mistaken ideas as harmful. Now, that's what the university was formed for. It was formed yeah. to create an atmosphere in which we, there's a the mutual exchange uh, and free exchange of differing ideas so that we can be humbled and shaped and, and be created uh, you know, more uh, you know, virtuous and, and, and informed people, educated people. Um, but but the culture of fragility says anything I disagree with is is uh, harmful. So uh, that's the one end. The other end is the outrage. Uh, the culture of outrage is anything I, I disagree with. I'm not going to run away from it. I'm just going to let you have it. You know, it's uh, this unbridled uh, anger um, in response to anything we disagree with. And so there's a real opportunity here for Christians to kind of be something that's in the middle there, uh, to be peacemakers to be people who don't have to be right, culture of outrage, but also don't have to be wrung away and afraid of things that they find uh, different or they dislike. But to be people who, um, people who, in, who enjoy the peace of Christ, therefore don't have to be right and don't have to fear harmful ideas, but look to dialogue with those who are different. Look to affirm others where they can uh, see truth. Uh, look to kind of recognize the dignity of all people, whatever they believe, uh, and to be kind of the aroma of Christ in the marketplace of ideas. Mm, I love that. Well, Jonathan Dodson, this is an excellent book, and I would recommend it to our um, our listeners. In fact, you may want to, if you have a group of people, everybody get the book, and then you can once a week get together and go over <laughs> one of the Beatitudes together, those questions at the uh, at the end, those reflections. Again, the book is called Our Good Crisis, Overcoming Moral Chaos with the Beatitudes. The book is published by InterVarsity Press. Jonathan Dodson, thank you for your work and for talking with us here today. Thank you, Georgie. It was great. Really appreciate it. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour, and we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. And I've been looking forward to this conversation because I received an email, as some of you might have as well, from John Fortmeyer. He is the founding editor and publisher of Christian News Northwest. It read something like this, because 99% of Christian News Northwest's 1,900 distribution sites in Oregon and southwest Washington are currently closed because of COVID-19 pandemic, We are, for the first time in our 26 years, not going to press with our newspaper. However, we are posting the full issue online. Well, I thought I need to talk to John Fortmeyer about this, because as we've been uh, engaged in conversation with a number of people asking how they're navigating the new normal and staying connected, uh, the uh, Christian News Northwest has been such an important fixture in our community for the past 20 something years, uh, I thought it would be a great idea to talk with him about not only um, how the paper is doing, what the future looks like, but how he and his family are weathering the storm as well. John Fortmeyer, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you very much, Georgine. I, it it means a lot that you're taking an interest in this. As, as you'll remember, it wasn't uh, very long ago, it was only last June that you graciously had me on your show to talk about our newspaper's 25th uh, anniversary. Yes. And, here, yes. and here we are almost almost a year later, and 
really for, oh boy, just about, well, not just newspapers, I mean, just about every aspect of life, but certainly for the newspaper industry, things have certainly dramatically changed here. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as I mentioned, you are posting the full issue online. Talk a little bit about what it takes, because this is uh, produced every month. Um, a tabloid-sized newspaper, for those who aren't familiar, serving the Christian community here in Portland, Salem, Vancouver. Um, what it uh, is required to uh, produce a publication and then to say, well, we can't go to print. Well, uh, let me let me start out by, by telling you that the decision not to go to press was an agonizing one for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is, I noticed today on the... Uh, the Oregonians Oregon Live website, there's a, a lengthy article about how all the newspapers here in our area are getting, are getting hit uh, with the current situation. Um, our, our newspaper, I, they, they didn't check with me, but our newspaper could easily have been included in that article in terms of, of describing the challenges that, that are currently being faced. Um, but I've, this is, this is the first time that we've, that we've ever put our our entire issue online because we've we've always we put a sampling of our stories online because we have always through these 26 years wanted to retain a strong incentive for folks to actually pick up our printed product Georgine I'm mm-hmm. um and maybe I'm a, I'm a product of of uh, the fact that I'm I'm uh, older I'm in my 60s now I've been doing newspapering <laughs> my whole life and I, I literally have newsprint and ink in my veins. There's just something about <laughs> about uh, a news a newspaper that I've always loved. And you know, online online is great, but it's it's never been a big emphasis for us. And plus, um, you know, online by and large, online publications alone don't don't provide sufficient ad revenue to sustain a news operation. You 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 need a, a print product if you're going to be be viable, and the first I heard about uh, our current situation in terms of of a local publication is a, a publication that, in some ways, is is very different than ours, and that's the Portland Mercury, which is one of the alternative weeklies across mm-hmm. the country. And uh, the Portland Mercury, um, you know, serves a, a, a largely different clientele than our paper because our paper is focused on the evangelical Christian community. But I, I saw a story that actually the Oregonian did a couple of weeks ago where the the Mercury, uh, the folks at the Mercury were just just uh, really devastated that they just didn't feel that they could put out a print edition and the the main reason is that they're like our paper this is one of the similarities between our paper and theirs is that both publications are strongly dependent on event related advertising and there have been so many events canceled in such a hurry that uh, they hit a financial wall and then we did too when I first heard what was happening with them I thought hmm <laughs> I wonder I wonder what's going to happen with us and we immediately started getting some cancellations on event advertising um, had we gone to press uh, well let, let me let me also explain we actually were hit with a double whammy one was the loss of the event related advertising mm-hmm. the second is the fact that 
are 1,900 distribution sites out there. About 85% of our distribution sites, uh, we distribute normally from Vancouver all the way down to Eugene, from the coast to central Oregon, 1,900 locations all throughout Portland, Salem, uh, just every community throughout that area. Uh, about 85% of our distribution sites normally are churches, and the rest are uh, Christian schools, colleges, seminaries, uh, bookstores, libraries, some businesses. 99% of those are now closed. Yeah, closed, 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 closed. Closed, closed, closed. <laughs> and we had a very extensive email. Dis- we have a network of about 12 folks <clears throat> who, who distribute our newspaper. I had a very extensive email discussion with them over a couple days uh, where I was actually uh, arguing, well, maybe we should still still distribute it uh, in hopes that some, somebody sees it. <laughs> and they, they brought me back to reality pretty fast. They said, they said you know, it's just not going to work. All those locations are closed. And uh, just, you know, for the April issue, don't go to press, and so that was that was the decision, and it was an agonizing one for me personally. But uh, one nice thing is that that uh, it, it's very uh, easy to to post a, a publication online. You just create a PDF. Uh, actually, the, you know the technology's changed so much in the 26 years we've been doing doing the newspaper. When when it's time to get the paper printed under normal conditions. Um, we just create a, a, a PDF image of the entire document and send it uh, to our printer electronically, and then they print out the paper. So uh, basically, it's just the, the same procedure, except uh, in this case, we didn't send it to the printing company. We just uh, posted it on our website, and that's where where the April issue can be found. Now, uh, normally, we print 16, 20, 24 pages. Had we gone to press with with the April issue, it would it would have been our smallest printed paper in 26 years. Uh, we haven't had an eight pager since 1994, our, our very first <laughs> year. Goodness. Yeah. And so it's an eight page paper that folks can see uh, on our website, which is uh, cnnw.com, and right there on the homepage they can click and, and see the April issue. Well, it's um, I, I, when I thought about the paper not going to press this time around, my first thought was, okay, we're in April now. March was a pretty rough month. We're into April. We're told that conditions are going to pretty much remain the same through the month of April, and we hope things change in May. But June is what they're looking at as you know, uh, returning to a bit more of uh, normalcy. What do you see uh, in the future in terms of when you're likely to go to press yeah. again? Well, you're hearing, Georgine, you're hearing the same uh, prognostications that I am, <laughs> and only time will tell how, how, they, yeah. how they pan out. Uh, you know, the president said a couple days ago that he was hopeful that by uh, early June that we would start to see a, a significant recovery. So I am working on the assumption that for our May issue, and uh, you see, our, our paper always comes to press right, right before the start of the month. I'm assuming that our May issue and likely our June issue will still need to be online. I'm I'm telling folks that, Lord willing, our July issue will be back, the first one back in print. Print. 
So you are anticipating a May and June issue, which is reassuring. I mean, it's kind of like you, you have to have the Christian News Northwest. I live. <laughs> this is where I live. This is what, <laughs> what I rely on. So that's encouraging. Well, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, we there's certainly still news out there. Uh, I mean, my goodness, this... Uh, uh, if you look on, on our April issue, uh, at the very start of our front page story, I, I mentioned that one of our national TV news anchors called this the story of our lifetimes. Yes. And I didn't, I didn't identify who it was, but it was Lester Holt of NBC News who described it that way. And uh, I mean, it really is just, just there's never been in my lifetime a news story like this. Yeah, we're going to take a quick break, but I want to continue my conversation with you. Again, we're talking this afternoon with John Fortmeyer. He is the founding editor and publisher of Christian News Northwest, which can now be read online. This is the first time in its 26-year history that that is the case. Uh, but we're going to talk more about uh, the publication moving forward, how this is uh, impacting the bottom line, and what we can anticipate from Christian News Northwest. I'm just excited that it's going to continue. So <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm excited about that part of it. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with John, with, uh, John Fortmeyer. He's the founding editor and publisher of Christian News Northwest. Not to tell you what it's like at the radio station. Once a month, we come in, and there's a stack of Christian News Northwest uh, newspapers. I immediately go for my copy, and sometimes Susie will put it in my box so it's already there. But I, I thumb through that every issue that comes out. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to take it, you know, not having that in my hands for the next <laughs> month or so. But uh, I'm going to go online and dutifully read it there. Um, but we're talking about what all of this means for the newspaper moving forward. Uh, we know there's an online edition for the month of April and, uh, and most likely for May as well. But this certainly has to have an impact on your bottom line. What do you see uh, as the, uh, the impact moving forward and the likelihood that this could um, be the end of uh, going to press uh, if things don't return quickly enough? Well, um, printing is a substantial cost uh, to any publication, particularly one as widely distributed as ours. I mean, we print 27,000 copies each month uh, and distribute it at those 1,900 locations. And, um, you know, we in order for that to continue long range, we would have to have a a return to to uh, uh, significant ad revenue, and so for that to happen, uh, the economy would have to click, you know start getting back in gear in the uh, relatively near future. Here, um, long range, um, it uh, it would be very difficult. And and I'm I'm speaking, I think, for just about every every uh, newspaper in our area and and nationally. Um, if if you See that that story that's uh, on the Oregonians' website today, Oregon Live, about the, the the challenges facing newspapers right now. I think we all would agree that a, a long-range uh, shutdown of business would uh, certainly be more than detrimental to our industry. Mm. I know that there is currently a GoFundMe effort to uh, keep Christian News Northwest afloat uh, in this interim period. My guess is when we are no longer uh, commanded to socially distance ourselves from one another and events start to uh, reoccur, they're going to have to have uh, Christian News Northwest and other outlets to let people know we're, you know, we're up and running, this is what's happening, and that's a great 
uh, sources of information all across the state of Oregon and southwest Washington. Uh, talk about the GoFundMe effort and, and how that will help uh, moving forward as you anticipate once again going to press when uh, all of this is uh, resolved. Yeah, thank you, Georgine, for asking about that. Um, we uh, use QuickBooks for our bookkeeping here, and I got an email from QuickBooks earlier this week where it said they were teaming up with GoFundMe to uh, promote the use of GoFundMe, which is a, a crowdfunding site, mm-hmm. uh, for small businesses across the country that are feeling the impacts of, of the, the coronavirus. And I, I thought, well, <laughs> we're certainly feeling the impacts. And um, I thought, I wonder if this would work for us. I checked with our, our accountant because uh, the one thing I wanted to, to clarify right up front, uh, Christian News Northwest is not a 501c3 organization under IRS tax law. When we started the paper 26 years ago, we, we have looked into that. Um, and we were quickly told that because we would get too much of our income from advertising to qualify, that we, we could not be a 501c3, and thus we could not issue any, any uh, receipts for tax-deductible donations. Any, any gifts that we would receive would not be tax-deductible. But our accountant said, and if, as long as you make that clear, there shouldn't be a problem establishing a GoFundMe site. And actually, he, he sounded quite intrigued with the possibilities of that. So I went ahead and set up this uh, GoFundMe site. You know, if, if you go to GoFundMe.com, uh, it's called the Support Christian News Northwest Newspaper uh, site. And we also have a link to this site uh, on the front page of our website, CNNW.com. And... Uh, so we set that up, and thank the Lord, we, we've gotten a, a very nice response so far. I think we've taken in almost $2,500 there. Oh, that's and, excellent. Yeah, and I mean, that is a very encouraging thing. It's not, it's not just encouraging, not, not just because of the, the money involved, but the fact that, that people really care. People really, really appreciate uh, the fact that, that we've been around for 26 years and they like the role that our newspaper plays. We're, we're kind of a, a special niche publication out there mm-hmm. focusing on the evangelical Christian community. And, and so people are giving, giving donations even though um, they're not able to get a, a tax receipt for it. One thing I also might mention is that uh, if someone does prefer just to, to send a uh, a check uh, that can also be done by mail to us at, at Post Office Box 974 in Newburgh, and the zip is 97132. Well, I, you know, I think a lot of people are thinking now: How can we support the businesses that we uh, that we support? And Christian News Northwest is certainly uh, loved and appreciated by many of us all across the Pacific Northwest. Um, and uh, this is a great opportunity to express that during a season in which uh, revenues are just not uh, available as they otherwise would be. So I would encourage people to take advantage of that. Again, GoFundMe is the site, uh, and Support Christian News Northwest is what you would look for to find um, this particular publication. I appreciate that this um, resource is available so people can respond in constructive ways. For 26 years, we have enjoyed Christian News Northwest at no cost. So that's been a real blessing to many of us. And I hope that uh, the Christian community will 
reciprocate and say, you know, we appreciate what you do. We want to see it continue and help to underwrite this uh, this difficult season, at least economically, uh, for the paper moving forward. But let me just ask you how you're, um, you and your family, you're navigating this new normal and staying encouraged as we are uh, ordered to socially distance ourselves from one another. We don't have the benefit of fellowship in church that we uh, enjoy. How are you navigating this all? Well, um, I'd, I'd say my wife and I are both pretty strong huggers, and it's it's hard <laughs> it's hard not to be able to to hug mm-hmm. the people we, we most care about. Um, you know, like like um, most everyone, uh, my wife Sandy and I are are huddled at home, and fortunately, we we like each other and <laughs> getting along getting along okay, uh, and and uh, our. Uh, our, uh, for, for example, our uh, older daughter and two of our grandsons uh, have been driving up. They live in Carlton, about 15 minutes away, and in order to to not go completely stir crazy, uh, they've been driving up in their car, and we maintain a, a six foot distance from them, and we just talk and share how we're doing. And uh, so it's nice to to occasionally yes. see them, even even though uh, we can't hug them. So. Anyway, we're we're just we're just taking things one day at a time and getting by just like the rest of America right it's now. Like everybody else, not hoarding toilet paper or anything. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> and, and my wife, my wife and I are uh, we're in the the age bracket where we we are able to take advantage of those special senior hours at, at Freddy's or Safeway and such. Now I haven't because I'm I'm working in the mornings and I actually have to produce the show earlier in the day uh, than I would if I were in the studio. I haven't been able to do that yet, but I'm looking forward to uh, maybe the weekend or taking a morning off or something and taking full advantage of my uh, maturity, if you will. It's very interesting to go to the store and see that just about everybody else is in your age group. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's hard to believe that we're actually in that category where we qualify, but I want everything that I'm entitled to when it comes to being a senior. So. <laughs> oh, well, once again, I want to encourage our listeners um, to uh, know that Christian News Northwest can be found online, and it's cnnw. Dot, is it com? Dot com, uh-huh. Dot com, okay. Yes. com. Christian News Northwest. And you can also go to GoFundMe.com uh, and check out Support Christian News Northwest newspaper, and you can help underwrite this season um, that, you know, we're all going through in which they simply do not have the revenue to do the uh, the printed version of the paper. I will tell you, one of the things that I will look forward to that tells me this season has come to an end and we've returned to normalcy is holding in my hand once again a Christian News Northwest, taking it back to my desk and just literally dropping everything and thumbing through, <laughs> which is what I do every month. Well, John Fortmeyer, yeah. I so appreciate your faithfulness these last 26 years. I know it was difficult not to go to press uh, this year, but I'm thankful that we can uh, read the news online. And we look forward uh, to holding that paper in our hands again and continuing to read online until that day comes. Thank you so much, Georgie. Oh, thank you. And God bless. Bye bye. Again, John Fortmeyer, the founding editor and publisher of Christian News Northwest. If you have not read it or held it in your hands, you need to mark that on your list of things you're looking forward to when all of this is over, because it's a great resource to keep us connected to each other and up to date on what's happening in our respective communities. You're listening to The Georgie Rice Show. We'll be back in just a few moments. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Before we get into a rather disturbing story, I wanted to mention a couple of things. Um, New Life Live. If you're looking for practical ways to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus during this unsettling time, I want to encourage you to download 10 Ways to Overcome Your Fears and Anxiety. It's free from Stephen Arterburn at New Life Live, a program here on KPDQ. Just go to kpdq.com or our mobile app and enter the keyword overcome. Again, that's kpdq.com or our mobile app and enter the keyword overcome. So New Life Live, 10 ways to overcome your fears and anxiety. And also in response to church cancellations due to the coronavirus pandemic, 93.9 KPDQ has created a new church service live streaming page at kpdq.com with broadcasts of local church services. You'll be able to dive into God's Word and worship from home with local live streams. Just visit kpdq.com and go to Community Events. You'll find a list of local churches with links to their broadcasts. That's kpdq.com. And I'll remind you that uh, Southwest Bible Church is featuring their service live at 10 a.m. on our AM station, True Talk 800. That, too, is in response to the current health restrictions. Pastor Scott Gilchrist of Downtown Bible Class invites you to attend Southwest Bible Live Sunday mornings, 10 a.m. on True Talk 800. Now, even if you can't meet at church in person, we can still worship and study God's Word together, and KPDQ has a couple of ways for you to do that. So check it out online, kpdq.com. For those resources. Well, let me share with you some disturbing headlines um, and perhaps a bit of a response. Uh, Pennsylvania pastor slams coronavirus precautions, plans Woodstock-like Easter gathering. Now, this is a Pennsylvania pastor who said uh, on Tuesday that he plans to organize an outdoor Woodstock-like service in protest of a coronavirus stay-at-home order following the arrest of multiple pastors in the U.S. for allegedly violating those orders. Evangelist Don, uh, Jonathan Shuttlesworth says that he will hold an outdoor Easter blowout service, even though Florida pastor Rodney Howard Brown was arrested on Monday for holding services the day before, potentially placing attendees at risk of COVID-19, not to mention those with whom they come in contact with afterwards. Now, today, the governor of Florida finally uh, issued a stay-at-home order, so that may uh, preclude all of that. But this um, evangelist is saying, I'm moving forward with this no matter what. Another headline, citing First Amendment, outspoken minority of pastors refuse to close churches amid pad- uh, pandemic. Citing the First Amendment rights and outspoken minority of pastors across the country are resisting calls for federal and local government authorities to close their churches amid the new coronavirus pandemic, despite facing fines and arrests. Some legal experts disagree Uh, with using the First Amendment as a defense for disobeying government authorities in the throes of a pandemic. Now, this is a temporary effort uh, to protect the public. Another headline, nearly a fifth of religious Americans still attending worship services, according to a poll. Bishop Paul S. Morton at his uh, worship service was pictured in that article in Atlanta, Georgia. Nearly one in five United States adults who consider themselves religious are still attending worship services with the concerns over coronavirus pandemic, according to a newly released poll. Now, this was dated Monday the 30th. The poll was conducted earlier in the month by three political scientists. Uh, The researchers found that while 88% of respondents said that their house of worship canceled services or uh, was closed, 17% were still attending in-person services of some kind, as reported by BuzzFeed News. 
Um, they speculated that some of the 17% who said they were still attending in-person services may have been referring to smaller worship groups outside of their churches or temples, though this is uh, not a question that had been asked in the survey. The poll also found that 22% of respondents said that they were encouraged to attend in-person worship because because of the virus. Now, the, the uh, logic is that if you are a person of faith and you will step outside of this prohibition, proving that God will protect those uh, within the household of faith. And then the New York Times decided to exploit the situation. The headline there, the religious rights hostility to science is crippling our coronavirus response. Uh, They tied it to Donald Trump, and there's a a seething hatred for the president, so making that connection was easy to do. The the, um, byline, Trump's response to the pandemic has been haunted by the science denialism of his ultra-conservative religious allies. Um, At least since the, uh, and it goes on, at least since the 19th century when the pro-slavery theologian Robert Louis Dabney, which most Christians today have no idea Uh, of who he is, attacked the physical sciences as theories of unbelief, hostilities to science have characterized the more extreme forms of religious nationalism in the United States. Today, the hardcore of climate deniers is uh, concentrated among people who identify as religiously conservative Republicans, and some leaders of the Christian nationalist movement, like those allied with the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation, which has denounced environmental science as a cult of the green dragon, cast environmentalism as an alternative and false theology. Now, there are errors in that uh, publication, but we'll overlook them for now. Uh, Calvin Beisner with the Cornwall Alliance uh, took issue with that mischaracterization, and he wrote a piece uh, pointing out that the New York Times ignores the evidence to slander Christians as coronavirus deniers. Catherine Stewart, who was the author of that New York Times column, couldn't be bothered to find out, as a good journalist would, what the Cornwall Alliance and plenty of Uh, of other conservative evangelical Christians think about the coronavirus, slander sufficed. Stop denying science. There is a special place in hell for you folks. If any of you ilk get corona or rather COVID-19, I hope uh, you stick to your non-science beliefs and let someone else have a ventilator. This uh, is on you. And then I won't go on from there. These are some examples of the messages that have since been received by the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. Uh, that they've received recently. What could stir up such anger? And of course, it's the uh, column in the New York Times. She identifies the problem as religious nationalism or Christian nationalism, which she says drives the hardcore of climate deniers among religiously conservative Republicans and goes on with misinformation from there. Now, I don't have time to read um, Calvin Beisner's response, but I would encourage you to uh, to do just that. I'm going to try to post it on our uh, on the Facebook page because I, for some reason, have not been able to gain access to the kpdq.com webpage. We're working on that. But this is just one example of exploiting a situation in which you have a handful of individuals who have defied the orders and painting with a very broad brush the entire Christian community as being anti-science and therefore um, uh, coronavirus responsible for the spread of the coronavirus when the vast majority of uh, believers are following the respective orders of their state, city, and uh, federal governments and meeting in other ways. Well, Dr. Land was asked uh, about all of this, and we've had some pastors on the program here who've talked about the challenge of how do we um, how do we balance, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together with we need to obey the civil authorities, 
um, balancing all of that, loving our neighbors is another element that we have to consider. And so the decision has been made broadly by churches all across the country that we will not meet in physical proximity to one another, but there are all kinds of other ways to do that. Well, Dr. Richard Land from Princeton, he's a PhD from Oxford and a THM from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, was president of the Southern Baptist Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, uh, served as the uh, president of the seminary and so on. Uh, He's asked the question, should churches comply with government mandates to not hold worship services during the coronavirus pandemic? And I appreciated what he had uh, to say. Now, I doubt that I'll uh, have sufficient time to read all of it, but in the last few weeks, he writes, social media and the Internet in general have been replete with debates about whether or not churches should comply with government mandates to suspend worship services and related church group activities as the country seeks to stem the spread of this incredibly contagious Um, pandemic. Many have said, yes, we have an obligation to obey the civil magistrate for conscience sake. Others have responded, no, we have special freedoms and protections under the First Amendment, and our ultimate loyalty must be to Jesus, not the state. Are Christians being good citizens by complying with the government's attempt to protect the public welfare of the citizenry? And do we exercise our freedom of conscience and trust that God will protect us from the potential health consequences? Which option is a more winsome and appealing gospel witness to a watching world? And these are the questions that are being asked all across the country. He goes on, such discussions and debates concerning the interplay and interaction between Christians and civil government have been ongoing since the early days of the Christian church. After all, the Apostle Paul addressed this very issue in his letter to the church in Rome as early as approximately A.D. 58 almost certainly addressing a question perplexing the Christ followers in the capital of the Roman Empire, Paul informed them that the civil magistrate was ordained of God and that their divinely mandated purpose, Paul even calls them God's ministers, was to punish those who do evil and to reward those who do that which is good. The apostle exhorts his Roman Christian brothers and sisters to obey the civil authorities for conscience sake, including, render therefore to all their due, Tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor is due. And he goes on from there. I would encourage you to um, prepare to give an answer to this question as it uh, may arise. And this uh, this campaign to discredit the Christian community based on the perception of one New York Times columnist who mischaracterized an organization deliberately and rather sloppily, the Cornwell Alliance um, Quoting, misquoting the organization or saying things that were never said by the group I'm quite familiar with. In any case, this is the challenge for the Christian church where some would seize this opportunity to undermine the, um, uh, the credibility of the church. Okay, I need to take a break. We're going to be back in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, our final segment of the day. Tomorrow on the show, we've got a bunch of things cooking, but nothing quite done yet. So we'll make sure the timer is right and, you know, things are ready and we'll present them to you tomorrow. So it'll be a big mystery. Well, maybe not so much of a mystery. Um, I also wanted to let you know if you're looking for ways to stay encouraged during this coronavirus pandemic, Uh, The Gettys are offering a family hymn sing every Tuesday night at 515 Pacific Time. We're talking about Keith and Christine um, Getty. Uh, They're set to go live on Facebook every Tuesday with families uh, to sing modern hymns. Well, the couple plan to do a family hymn sing Facebook live stream with fans on Tuesday, March the 31st being the first kickoff. 
and of course the next uh, being next week. With hopes to lift spirits in worship, the Gettys are going to perform well-known modern hymns from Nashville, Tennessee, share their light to homes around the world. The duo plan to continue this every Tuesday at 5.15 Pacific Time. The focus uh, will be uh, teaching children to sing hymns, and that will change every uh, every week. Getty Music recently released their newest single, Christ Our Hope in Life and Death. It was written by five critically acclaimed songwriters. This is going to be the first song that the writers have written together as a team, and that will be featured there as well. So if you're looking for something for the family to do together, let me encourage you to take advantage of yet another opportunity to gather with people all across the country and perhaps in various places around the world to uh, engage in worship with the Gettys. Again, that's 515 every Tuesday night with Keith and Christine Getty, um, bringing us together in worship. One woman who is stranded in Italy says the COVID pandemic uh, has changed how Italian Christians pray and live their faith. With the nation reeling from 7,500 deaths, the highest tally in the world, at least at that time, among 74,000 confirmed cases. It was the second only to China at that time. This was earlier this month. During lockdown, we can no longer gather on Sundays or in our home groups. Social gatherings, travel and weddings are suspended and are most businesses. Um, if someone caught out, if someone is caught outside their home without a valid reason, there can be a heavy fine. But the season of exile has helped us discover three facets of prayer we often neglect in times of abundance. She points out that the prayers of lament have now become familiar in Italy. My guess is here as well. Psalms of lament often felt um, hyperbolic a month ago. For example, Asaph's complaint that God has made his people drink tears by the bowlful could seem overdramatic. David's cries to God about how long will you hide your face from me was a distant feeling. But as humanity struggles to contain a fear and anxiety-provoking pandemic, lament feels newly relevant to all of us. In March of 2020, Psalm 44 now sounds pitch perfect. Awake, Lord. Why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. Few Western Christians have experienced poverty or injustice or persecution. Consequently, our worship usually reflects the moods of resourceful individuals in times of prosperity and peace, composed and mainstream. We do suffer individually, however. Seldom is our corporate worship fueled by protest and mourned before God. So the prayers of lament are being reintroduced to God's people. And then there are prayers of intercession. Never have I spent so much of my time in prayer interceding for others. I'm ashamed to confess that. In the past, I've often told people, I'll pray for you, but then forgot to do it. But now, now that the virus ravages Italy, she writes, I have been moved by images of overworked doctors and people lying in makeshift hospitals. A member of our church fell gravely ill, but the emergency room turned him away because it is fielding so many cases of the new coronavirus. I can't meet or lay hands on him due to the current national lockdown, but I have been praying for his recovery. As a church, we have prayed for doctors, created a common fund to help those in economic need and fasted for our country. Hmm. Prayers of intercession. And finally, she says, prayers of silence. However, the news is so bleak and the suffering so global these days that we can feel overwhelmed in prayer. How can my prayer possibly meet the moment? Our honest response may be, Lord, I am dumbfounded. I don't know what to say. Thankfully, the scripture says the spirit prays for us, intercedes for us. When I watched army trucks driving corpses to the 
uh, to be cremated because there is no longer space in cemeteries in parts of Italy. I was speechless. But to wait upon the Lord is valid. To put our wordless trust in him is a legitimate prayer. When Paul writes about our present weakness and suffering, he adds, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. When words fail us, we can still, we can be still and know that God is God. Alongside celebrations, when this is all over, when the pandemic is defeated, many will resonate with the sense of relief of Psalm 126. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy and the joy of Psalm 150. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. But alongside celebrations, we will be wise to remember the prayers we uttered in this time of sickness. May this pandemic humble our hearts and teach us the prayers of the weak, the concerned and the speechless. Rene Bruel is the founding pastor of a church in Rome, Italy, and author of The Paradox of Happiness. And then I wanted to close with uh, the lyrics of a hymn written by Annie Johnson Flint that has been one of my favorite uh, songs since Danny Bell Hall it popular back in the 70s. He giveth more grace, and I wanted to recite them to you as we close. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. Fear not that that thy need shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arms everlasting availing. The Father both thee and thy load will upbear. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Be encouraged. Stay on your knees, whether you're praying prayers of silence, prayers of lament, or prayers of intercession. This is a tremendous opportunity that we have been given, perhaps having more time to spend in his presence, crying out for the needs of, uh, of our families and people that we care about, people who are created in his image, the Imago Dei. And let's reach out beyond our own borders, of our own household, our own close friends, and be an encouragement to others. Well, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'd like to thank James Blend, producer and Clark Hilton engineer of today's program. Thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. And I hope you'll join us here tomorrow. We're working on a couple of things I think you'll really enjoy. So stay with us about 23 hours from now. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.